Well, guys, I, I want to start like I did last week. I think um, when we do things like Advent, which has been celebra- celebrated for, for centuries throughout the global church, sometimes we, we forget what it's really all about. I, I'm, I'm big in trying to understand why we do what we do. And so uh, last week we, we talked about uh, hope, and, and we lit the first candle, and I, I will light the second this morning here in a bit. Um, but the second week of Advent, we focus on peace. And kind of like I did last week, I, I want to start with just a working definition. I'm a definition guy. I want to know what I'm working with. And so, so I, I think a good working definition of, of peace, and I took it from a bunch of different places. This is what we landed on. But that peace is a state of agreement or harmony between people or groups. It's a state of agreement or harmony between people or groups. Uh, and, and literally, it is the opposite of war, right? It's the opposite of war. And so the question then I begin to ask, if that's what peace is, then, then why is it uh, that when God promises the Messiah, he promises that this Messiah, one of the reasons he's coming is for peace? Why is that necessary, right? I, I mean, think about it. This is the great declaration, Isaiah 9, 6. It, it says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So, so why is peace necessary? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Why, why the Messiah had to come. So there's four things I'm going to share with you, which is a lot in 20 minutes. So we're going to be booking. I will try not to talk too quickly. We've got lots of words on the screen for you to help uh, follow along. So four things I want to share. And here's the first, guys. Uh, first and foremost, I want you to know that there is an unseen war being waged. There's an unseen war being waged. And, and this shouldn't come as a surprise if as a Christian you've read the New Testament. Lots of places in the New Testament tell us to uh, prepare ourselves for battle, to stand firm, to, to put on the full armor of God, right? There's, there's all kinds of, like Ephesians 6.12 says, our, our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, of darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in, in, in the heavens. Then put on the full armor of God. 2 Corinthians uh, 10, uh, 3 through 4 says, for although we live in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the uh, demolition of, of strongholds. And so uh, we, we have these verses that we, we know that there's some kind of war being waged, that it's some kind of spiritual war. But here's the deal, guys. I, I, I'd submit this to you this morning. I honestly think that when we think about spiritual warfare, we always do it through a man-centric view. We just think about how that warfare affects us, right? It's a man-centered view of the war that's being waged. But the Bible actually calls us to have a God-centered view of that war. And, and, and that war is laid out for us throughout the Scriptures. And we read this in, in Revelation chapter 12. It says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but they could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. You see, the God-centered view of war is that there was a war first in heaven. 
and that uh, an angel named Lucifer, uh, who we now call the devil, uh, along with a third of the angels in heaven, rebelled against God because Lucifer wanted to be God himself. He wanted to sit on the throne of God. He wanted to be like God. We find that in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And it's this fallen angel Lucifer who God says is a serpent who shows up in the garden because he's been cast to earth and he tempts God's prize creation, Adam and Eve, with the same argument, right? You remember, uh, he says, that you should eat from this tree. And they say, no, we can't eat of that tree or we're going to die. And, 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 and Lucifer, Satan says to them, no, no, you won't die. In fact, verse 5, Genesis 3, he says, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and get this, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's the same argument, same reason that the war began in the first place. So I, I think if, if we're going to talk about why we need peace, why did God promise a Messiah, and why was that Messiah coming uh, to bring peace? Why was peace necessary? We first have to understand it's necessary because there's a great war that is unseen, right? That's where we began. The second thing I want you to know, though, is where the news gets a little rough for us, because when we have a God-centric view of Scripture, it doesn't always make us feel rosy about ourselves, right? So here's our second point, is that we've joined in on the wrong side of this war, and as such, are enemies of God, okay? We have joined in on the wrong side of this war, and as such, are enemies of God. Uh, if it makes you more comfortable, you can say, we all at one time joined in on the wrong side of this war and were enemies of God, if that makes you more comfortable. Uh, I encourage you, though, uh, not to sugarcoat the language, but rather to own it. I, I think it's better. I think it's a more healthy spiritual viewpoint if we just own up to, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me, right? That, that's me. I, I, I can buy that. Um, and, and, and again, the Bible doesn't pull any punches when it comes to this. Colossians 1, uh, 21, Paul writes, And you who uh, once were alienated... Uh, and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, uh, yet he is now reconciled. He says enemies, and Romans 5.10 uses the same language. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. He says we're, we're enemies. In Ephesians 2, he goes further, and he says, hey, as enemies, uh, I want you to know this. He says, and, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Other translation says we were objects of wrath. And so we, we, we began, uh, and this is our story, right, by the way. Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God. They fell for it, by the way. They wanted to be like God. They, they did disobey God. They did rebel against God and His good rules. And when you rebel against God, you are waging war with God. You're His enemy. 
And so, uh, and we, this is where we, I got to own up to this, guys. I, I know we like to go, well, I'd never be like that. We, we do this all the time. We constantly want it our way instead of God's ways. And so the Bible says, uh, naturally, spiritually speaking, as such, when you rebel against a holy God, you are the enemy of that God. Okay? Uh, so that's, that's a tough place to be. So, so uh, bad news, and, and we talk, why is this peace necessary? Well, it's necessary because there's war and because we're on the wrong side of it. And by the way, the news gets worse, all right? Which is the third point, is that no one can win a war against God. No one can win a war against God. I don't know if you listened carefully to the passage from Revelation. Didn't work out so well for Lucifer or a third of the angels, right? You say, well, they just got cast down to earth. Earth is pretty cool. Uh, that's not the final destination, y'all. Keep reading in the book of Revelation. They're all going to be thrown into a never-ending lake of fire, okay? Uh, and, and, and listen, lest you think that that is only for those uh, angels, those fallen angels, uh, man, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that that's for anyone that tries to stand against this God. Second Chronicles 20 verse 6 says, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all of the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand. And get this, and no one can stand against you. Ah. The psalmist is a little more direct. In Psalm 145 verse 20, he says, the Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. He destroys all the wicked. So, there's a war that's being waged. All humanity's on the wrong side because we've rejected God, right? And, and no one who has rejected God can win that battle against God. Like, that seems like really bad news, which is where we get to the good news, which is why the need for a Savior was there in the first place. Why did God promise that this Messiah, this Savior was coming? And why would he bring peace? Well, he would bring peace because we were at war with God, which is kind of our last point is that our only hope, which is what we talked about last week, our only hope is finding peace with God through his son Jesus. Our only hope is finding peace with God through our son Jesus, through his son Jesus. So war uh, being waged, we're on the wrong side. We can't win. Only hope is peace with God through this Messiah that he promised. And that's our scripture this morning, Isaiah 9, 6. So when I want you to think about all week, for a child will be born. This is God's promise. And, and, and who's he going to be born for, by the way? Do you, you see it? It's okay, you can read out loud, we're in church. Uh, they used to do this for centuries. It's for us, right? A child is going to be born for who? For us! Why? Because we need it! Because we need help! Because we're stuck. Because we're on the wrong side. And there's a penalty for that, right? And so God says, but it's okay. A child is going to be born for us, for you. A son is going to be given to who? To us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He will come to make peace. And when Jesus is born... That's part of the birth announcement, by the way. The angels declaring, Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people He favors. Advent, the season of waiting, we're celebrating the promise, the fulfilled promise of God, where God said, hey, one's coming who's going to save you from where you've ended up. 
Last week we said he's our only hope. This week we, we realize why he's our only hope, because he's the only one that could bring peace between us and God. You say, how does he do that? Well, the Bible actually uh, explains that to us. So I'm in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read a good chunk for you. I'm going to start in verse 11, and, and I want to read all the way through verse 21, because I think Paul eloquently explains exactly what Jesus the Messiah has done in order to bring peace between us and God, okay? And here's what he writes. He says, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those that called themselves the circumcised, that which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in His flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of the commands and expressed in regulations so that He might create in Himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so He might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which He put the hostility to death. The hostility, the wrath. He put it to death on the cross. He came and He proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So here's what the Bible would declare. What Jesus did. There were two things that had to be done. Okay? Sin had to be atoned for. And the law had to be fulfilled. Both of those things. Remember, in the garden, we were perfect. We were holy. We were righteous. We were not sinful. Right? Okay? When we sinned, when we chose to rebel against God, to join the rebellion of the serpent, uh, which we've all done, by the way, if you think Adam and Eve, you're like, man, they messed everything up. It would have been worse with you. Okay? It would have happened quicker with you. I believe it. I know you guys. I know me. It would have been a lot quicker. <laughs> Tell me not to do something. Like, it would have been over fast. Okay? And when that happened, when that rebellion happened, when we waged war against God, death entered the world. And it entered the world because we were no longer righteous. And so two things had to happen. Our sin had to be atoned for. It had to be a payment so that we could be forgiven. But righteousness still had to be fulfilled as well. And so Jesus came, and in His flesh... He lived the perfect righteous life that is required of God, which is huge. So he fulfilled the righteous component. But then listen, the penalty of, of sin is death. Somebody had to die. So he also died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice, meaning that he covered our sins so that we could have access to God again, meaning that we were no longer, and this is crazy, 
Not just that we were no longer at war. Think, think about, come on, there's got to be somebody in your life that you've had a really good beef with, right? Come on, anybody? Don't tell me the beef, but raise your hand. There's somebody in your life, like you, you've had, you've got it. Come on. So, okay, everybody, right? Everybody's got some. There's somebody you're like, mm, mm, giving them to Jesus. I'm giving them to Jesus. Uh, do something with them, Lord. And we know what we mean by that. Uh, praying their salvation. I'm praying it comes through fire. Uh, just, I get you. I get you. We've all had a beef with somebody. I want you to imagine this because this is the unspeakable. As, as Christians, we're, we're called to follow the pattern of Jesus, right? And he says to love your enemies. And we go, that's really hard. I don't know if I can do that. And we don't do it well. We just, we kind of think of our enemies as just, just like we have to kind of imagine, okay, well, that's just a person created by God. And, and so we do nice things to them. But we don't like, we don't like really love them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, we extend love to them, like grace to them. But we don't like, oh, come here, give me a hug. Let's be besties. Like, that didn't happen, right? So when you go to war with somebody, it is unnatural then, then to just go, hey, we're not at war anymore. And, and you would think the best I could do is maybe be an acquaintance of that person from now on, right? Like, hey, hey we, I mean, our nation has been at war with other nations. So we're not like great friends and buddy buddies with some of those nations. Like, oh, hey, remember when you dropped all those bombs on us? <laughs> it's fine. Like, come on, let's take, we don't do that. We're kind of like, no, we're acquaintances. Now, we're not going to go to war again, but we kind of have a mutual agreement and understanding. That's what you would think would be natural. But that's not what Jesus has done for us. The Messiah didn't come so that we could just be acquaintances, so that we could be at arm's distance. So you say, well, what's, what's better than that? Then maybe you go, well, this doesn't make sense to me. You think somebody that you had that great beef with, and now you're besties. Man, now we're great friends. Man, we put it aside. We hang out all the time. They come to my house and play with the kids. And I go to their house and play. Think, that's unnatural. That's just weird. And you're like, yeah, that's weird. But it didn't stop there either. Jesus didn't just come so that we could be friends with God. You know, it goes even further. He comes so that we could become children of God. So that we could be adopted into the family of God and receive all of the blessings of God. God holy righteous, chooses to provide His Son for us. His Son comes and lives the perfect life that we can't and dies in our place. God chooses this in His will. The Bible says, John 3, 16, just because He loves us. That was the promise. One's coming for us to be our peace because we need it. And that's what Christmas is all about. Is that God sent his very best to earth to bring peace between God and us. And we don't deserve it. It's called grace. But he did it because he's good. But he's also just. Righteousness had to be fulfilled. Sin had to be atoned. And that's how Jesus brought us peace. By living the life that we couldn't and dying the death that we deserve. That's what the Messiah has done. So what do we do in response to that? Christmas time, we think about Advent. We think about how Jesus has brought us peace. There's only a couple things I can think that make sense. And here's the first. First and foremost, uh, I would say this to you application-wise, is that we accept God's offer of peace today. Okay? Um, and, and, and I say that to you because uh, the truth is that uh, we don't know when tomorrow or what tomorrow holds. We just don't. We don't. 
The Bible's very clear in this. If we were to die apart from Christ, we would die as an enemy of God and we would face the punishment of God or the wrath of God. It's not something we, we, we don't boldly, you know, we don't, we don't wave it around with a sweat towel beating you up with it. That's the truth of Scripture is, is there's only one way to have peace with God and His name is Jesus because you're not perfect. And, and you may say, well, I'm a pretty good person. You're not good enough, not, not perfect. You need to be perfect. Jesus was the only perfect person to ever walk the face of the earth, and he died for your sake. You have to accept that. Um, here's the cool news. Uh, we had one in our church do that this week as they did our, their family Advent study. Um, and so uh, if, if you guys know the Curleens, uh, uh, Braden was uh, there, and they were having their family Advent study Monday night, and, uh, and it, led, it led to him receiving Jesus, coming to a place that he realized Jesus was his only hope, and he needed Jesus. And so we'll, we'll present him back for baptism soon. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's worth all of it. Let's buy some more Advent books. Come on, people. Uh, like, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. And so if that's you today, and you've never received Jesus, I just, like, this is Christmas. That's the gift of God. You're going to open a bunch of presents. The real present is Jesus because God's holy and he's righteous, right? And so receive that gift today. Just say, hey, Jesus, I need you. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I, I need you to come and forgive my, like, he'll do that. So that's the first thing. Okay, second thing I would say to you guys is, is this. Um, help me out with that next. Step. There we go. Uh, remember uh, the big picture of war and give thanks for what Jesus has done. Uh, remember the big picture of war and give thanks for what Jesus has done. So when I say big picture of war, um, what, I, what I mean by that is, is not that man-centered view of spiritual warfare, but the big God-centered view of spiritual warfare says I'm a part of it and I'm on the wrong side. And so it leads me, especially this season, to a place of thanksgiving where I go, God, man, how good are you that you've forgiven me? How good are God, forgive me for all the times I rebel and wage war against you. Thank you so much for Jesus. I mean, it just makes me more and more thankful for Jesus, for what he's done. Does it make sense? Makes sense? And that's what Advent's about. That's why we still light candles and we still celebrate. Because Jesus was all the things that we needed and we never knew we needed. Right? We need peace with God. Jesus is the only way that that happens. And so that's what the second candle is about this Advent season. We light the first candle uh, to remind us that Jesus is our only hope. And we light the second candle to realize that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can have peace with God. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you um, for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for this season of Advent that um, our hearts are stirred. And, and we think about how your people longed for a Messiah they knew they needed one, but they didn't know the ways they needed one. And now we get to study those ways ourselves. Stir in our hearts as well. And God, let us celebrate Christmas rightly, the birth of your Son, our Messiah, our Savior. But let it also stir within us a desire for his return. God, if there's anyone here this morning that has not accepted uh, the gift of your Son, Jesus... As, as, as that peace offering so that they could have peace with you. God, I pray today would be the day that they do that. Please do that in Jesus' name. Amen.